0: Welcome back to Case of the Sunday Scaries. I'm Elise. And I'm Annie. And this is part two of the Robert Hansen, a.k.a. Butcher Baker case. Now, Annie, I think I'm just going to have to dive into this right away off the top because I went down some rabbit holes while researching this case, and it's going to be a long one.
1: I've been waiting for a few days, so I'm ready for it.
0: Well, we left off by telling you that Cindy Paulson, the brave 18-year-old who survived Robert Hansen, Oh, well, she was sent back to the streets and basically dismissed. But that is not where Cindy's story ends. Because simultaneously, the Alaska state troopers have been investigating a possible serial killer in the Anchorage area because they've discovered multiple bodies at this point dumped in shallow graves around the Anchorage area. So three years before Cindy Paulson escaped, in July of 1980, construction workers discovered the remains of a female body in a shallow grave. She was given the name Aklutna Annie. This was given to her because she was found off Aklutna Lake Road. Her body was very decomposed, so it was suspected she was killed possibly a month, maybe more, even up to a year. They really couldn't tell. However, it's especially hard to determine because of the environment in Alaska.
1: I was going to ask, yeah, with the environment, the wildlife.
0: Absolutely. So keep in mind you're dealing with these really brutal winters that could actually preserve a body but in the months leading up to summer as Alaskans refer to this not as spring but as breakup season not because guys are you know out dumping their girlfriends it's different <laughs> than cuffing season but honestly this is called breakup season because that's when the snow is melting and it basically turns everything into a big mush pile mm. so that would also include any bodies that happen to be out in there. Forensics were able to determine she was probably between the ages of 16 to 25 and had been murdered by a stab wound to the back. Now, Robert would give us a little bit more information later. He told police that he never intended to kill her, but after sexually assaulting her, he drove her out towards a Klutna lake. He got his truck stuck in the snow, which, again, who knows if that is actually true or any of this story is true because Robert is not exactly, you know, a church-going honest boy. Right. But he said he got his truck stuck, and then he told her he was going to get out, get the truck unstuck, and he would drive her home. She, again, I love all these brave women, she used the opportunity to try to escape, but when Robert caught up to her, she pulled the knife out of her purse. Yes, get him. Yep. unfortunately, Robert overcame her. He pushed her down and then stabbed her in the back with her own knife.
1: Wow, I have a question. Yeah. They found her body. How did they associate the body back to Hansen?
0: We're going to get there. So I okay. need to give a little timeline of these bodies that they're finding and then how they ended up bringing it back to him. But I do love, again, that she's a badass, smart woman who fought off her attacker to the best of her ability. Unfortunately, she still has not been identified. So for the rest of this case, we will just refer to her as Aklutna Annie, which I'm sorry that your name is Annie and I talking know about it right <laughs> that might feel a little weird. <laughs> that very same month, not far from where Aklutna Annie was found, the body of 24 year old Joanna Messina was found. Hansen would later tell the police that he met Joanna on the boating docks in Seward. Robert offered for them to go to dinner where Joanna propositioned him for sex work. It was then that he decided to kill her because, you know, that makes sense. Remember, Robert has a real issue with rejection, and I'm sure he probably thought this was a romantic date that she was interested. But he doesn't like rejection and probably felt like he was being rejected when she offered sex work.
1: Yeah, Anne has a short temper. My God.
0: That uh, might be an understatement. So just like Eklutna Annie, her body was badly decomposed, but Annie, get a hold of this. It wasn't due to the weather. She was actually labeled Bear Lady until sure. troopers identified her dental records and would then identify her as Joanna. She was labeled Bear Lady because when they found her body, a black bear had made a snack of it.
1: Oh, my gosh. Alaska just terrifies me. Like the more you talk about, I'm like, hey, brutal winters, breakup season, bears. There's a lot going on there. You got to be a bit of a survivalist to
0: live there. That is for sure. (laughs) Unfortunately, because her body was so badly decomposed, they weren't able to get a lot of evidence off of it. Now, I told you before, there's a ton of victims in this case, sadly, and not all of their bodies were found in the order in which they died. Some were not even found until Robert helped locate them. So, I think for the story's sake, it will make most sense if we go chronologically through the cases we know the most about Mm -hmm. in the order that Robert killed them. Let's do it. So, Robert confessed to killing 24 year old Roxanne Eastland just one month after Joanna in June of 1980. Unfortunately, to this day, her body has never been found. His next victim was Lisa Futrell, the oldest of Robert's victims. She was 41 at the time of her death. And again, not much is known about her, but her body was found with the aid of Robert near the old Knick Bridge. I want to point out here that all of these four women, if he had been kept in jail, could possibly still be alive. I know we talked about it in episode one, but, mm. you know, reading how some of these women died and what happened to their bodies, it just kind of brings it back
1: to mind. And were they all sex workers?
0: He has claimed that they were either topless dancers or sex workers. But again, it's Robert's word, so who knows? Now, after Lisa, there was an entire year before he would take his next known victim. And if you're familiar with serial killers, as Annie and I are, not personally, hopefully, (laughs) there's often a cooling off period between victims. They carry out their sick, gross, disgusting fantasies. And once that's satiated, they return to their, I guess you could call it normal life, whatever hell
1: normal is to these people. Mm -hmm. He was just uh, baking some cakes, being a family man, being a husband and a dad. Took a little year hiatus.
0: Yeah, being a baker is making you some danishes. And I, I just keep forgetting that he was a baker. It throws me off. I cannot picture going down to your local bakery. I have one that I walk to like a couple blocks away from me and thinking that any of those nice people give me my coffee and donut could be a serial killer like it's just a horrific
1: one at that i mean the things that he does the dangerous games he talked about in episode one how he picks his victims what he does with them it's it's mind-boggling to me here's a donut and here's serial killer they're like completely opposites you would think
0: which is probably why he got away with it for so long because like us you don't picture the neighborhood baker as a serial killer In the case of Robert Hansen, I wanted to do a little digging into why he broke this pattern. Because at this point, in just one summer, he's killed four women. So why a year in between? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not, you know, a private investigator yet. I actually Googled (laughs) it. You have to have 4,000 hours in Denver to become
1: one. (laughs) no. We might hit that quote with this podcast, (laughs) I know.
0: Give me a, a, a couple years. We'll get there. But I have two theories on why there was such a long break in between the victims. After doing some digging into his wife, because I had to know what the heck her involvement was in this. Like, how did she not realize women are being tied up in her basement and raped? And in the case of Cindy Paulson, just down there for hours without her knowing? Well, it seems that her job as a tutor for children provided her with some financial independence from Robert And as you can just about imagine, behind closed doors, things weren't as picture-perfect as they seemed between her and her loving husband. I didn't see any accusations that Robert was physically violent towards Darla or the children, but he was verbally abusive to her. Darla, she was a stand-by-your-man type woman, which normally I have a lot of respect for. Same. But when your husband is being investigated for attempted kidnap and rape of a woman at gunpoint...
1: Wait, what are you talking about?
0: Oh, I must have forgot to mention that. Yeah, a sex worker named Robin Patterson told police that she was kidnapped at gunpoint by Robert. What? Yeah, he raped her and threatened to kill her, but she somehow convinced him that she would never tell the police and he actually let her go. But not before... Oh, this is just terrifying. He made her tell him the name of her parents and threatened if she told police, he would not only kill her, but her family.
1: He is manipulative because, to be honest, I would never tell a soul. If I knew that he knew my parents' names, mm-mm, that's going, that's, I'm taking that secret with me to the grave.
0: Well, and in front of her, he wrote down all of their information on a little piece of paper. He did bring her back to safety, but she decided to go to the police. And when the police interviewed Robert Hansen about this. They even found the scrap of paper with her parents' name and information on it because they didn't have a search warrant when they obtained this evidence and because clearly they don't value the lives of sex workers. Again, they let Robert Hansen
1: go. I am so glad that you set this up in episode one, talking about how short-staffed they were and how people were leaving the police force because I'm not giving them any leeway, but if they are short-staffed, it kind of makes sense. But also you have A witness. A victim. Paper that he wrote on. You just can't get a search warrant. (laughs) I'm bamboozled.
0: I'm, I have no words. But back to good old Darla. Maybe when your husband is being investigated for something that serious, some warning bells should be ringing. Mm -hmm. But apparently not. Darla, who has been described as a deeply religious woman, stood by her hubby through it all. However, she probably needed a break from his bullshit every once in a while, as (laughs) I would as well. So she would take the kids to visit her family in Arkansas during the summer when the students were out. She didn't have to tutor and her kids were out of school. Keep in mind, first four
1: victims all in the summer of 1980. Everyone was gone. He had the house to himself. Okay, okay, it's making sense. It's clicking now.
0: So maybe Darla and the kids were out of town at the time of these murders, and when they returned, he didn't have the same opportunity to do this. Clearly, it's going to be hard to explain to Darla why there's a woman tied up in the basement playing trains with your kiddos.
1: Oh, my gosh. Can so you imagine walking in on that?
0: I would walk. I'd grab the girl and then I'd walk right out and the kids. hmm But stand by her man, she did. My other suspicion is that Robert was not being satisfied with these kills Because you're going to see a turn in his M.O. Up until this point, these killings are sort of in-the-moment crimes. Someone's trying to escape. He panics and kills them. We have different weapons, anything that was available to him. I mean, for goodness sakes, he killed someone with their own weapon. Right. He just hadn't found his thing yet. The thing that would fulfill his desire for revenge on those high school girls who just didn't think he was cute with his stutter and acne But with his next victim, 23-year-old Sherry Morrow, he would. On November 23rd, 1981, Sherry's boyfriend reported her missing after she failed to show up at a doctor's appointment on the 17th. Now, there's a couple days in between, but apparently from the research I did, it looked like they didn't live together, so maybe you would wait a couple days. He told police that when he last saw her, she was wearing blue jeans and a light blue winter coat. He also told police that she always wore a gold necklace with a gold arrowhead on it that he had given to her as a gift. She never took this thing off. Now, almost a year later, her body was found, unfortunately, by hunters near the Knick River. She was wearing the same clothing she was last seen in, but had an ace bandage tied around her face and secured with those little metal clips that Mm -hmm. come with the ace bandage. Mm -hmm. She had died of a gunshot wound to the back. But yet, here's the weird thing and something that just chills me to my bones. The bullet had not pierced through her clothing, which means she was most likely running naked at the time of her death. And Robert, after shooting her, redressed her, which. Oh, my gosh. I don't know why that is just somehow even sicker to me. I just don't love the thought of him being around her body at all and spending the time redressing her.
1: Was she wearing the necklace?
0: I'm glad you asked. No, she wasn't, and you'll find out later that becomes incredibly important in the conviction of Robert. He later admitted to police what what his story of events of that night were. He had offered her $300 for a nude photo shoot, but instead, he's not just like clickety-click with his camera. That's not Mm going to get Robert the... The outcome he desires. So he drove her to a lean to in the woods, which I assume is another name for a cabin. I'm not okay. really sure. He sexually assaulted her, but yet again, Robert, who clearly cannot drive, got his truck stuck in the snow.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: So just like a Klootna Annie, Sherry tried to escape. But remember, her face is covered with this ace bandage. So she is running in the pitch black of Alaska winter. And I want to just try to describe how dark it is in Alaska. People know like the 30 days of night, all that stuff. Where this is happening, that isn't a thing. However, by five, six o'clock at night, it is pitch black. And because you're not living in a place like LA where you have city lights, Mm -hmm. the darkness is like all encompassing. So she is blindfolded with an ace bandage running into the woods with no sense of direction. Robert tells police that he watched her run away screaming for a while, and then he went after her and shot her in the back three times. A shell casing near her body was identified as belonging to a Ruger Mini-14 hunting rifle. Now, Annie, this is where my dad comes back into the picture. (laughs) (laughs) I know nothing about guns. So when I pictured this rifle, I was picturing something from like an old Western movie where you have to, yeah, like you, I don't, I don't even know the gun parts to explain (laughs) this, but basically you have to manually load each bullet, which just terrified me thinking that there was time in between each shot and perhaps Sherry was suffering the entire time. But my dad told me that this type of gun is a semi-automatic rifle, which will hold multiple rounds and will shoot each time that you squeeze the trigger, which of course does not make this situation any better. But it eased my mind that at least Sherry's death was
1: quick and she wasn't just being chased through the woods. For hours and hours and hours. And yeah, but oh, can you imagine running in the woods, blindfolded, in the pitch dark, probably freezing, just being chased by this man?
0: No, because this is November in Alaska. It's just what a sick, sick man he is. Oh, but unfortunately, Sherry is the victim that began Robert's MO, where he literally became like that general we talked about in part one in The Most Dangerous Game. He mm-hmm. got to watch Sherry flee from him. But then, like the experienced Hunter was, she became his prey. Basically, these were his trophy kills. And and it continued. This would become Robert's own hunting game, abducting women and bringing them in his plane to remote areas of Alaska, where, as he so lovingly put it, no one would be able to hear their screams.
1: Wow! And to get the girls, the women in the plane, he would say, "We're going to go back to my cabin, and you know, do our thing." How did he get? Or did he like was it a very? How did he get him in the plane?
0: So again, if we think about Cindy Paulson's case, he offered sex work to her, and then by gunpoint drove her to his home. That's right.
1: That's right. So
0: I would assume that that was kind of the case with a lot of these women because many of the ones that we're going to talk about going forward are sex workers, or excuse me, were sex workers. And so I imagine he just kind of followed the same thing that had worked for him once, which is offer them work and then abduct them Mm -hmm. by gunpoint. It's... I I really hate this man. I don't like to use the word hate, but I I do. In part one, we talked about how the police had (laughs) dropped the ball in Cindy Paulson's case. And now we have state trooper Glenn Fothy. Fothy. Gosh, that name. There we go. (laughs) I'm just going to pause and you can say Fothy. That will be our (laughs) new game for the rest of this. I don't know why that name is so hard for me. He is looking into all these bodies being found, but here's where the cases start to intersect, and Robert Hansen finally begins to get investigated. Not every police officer was quick to dismiss Cindy's story. Officer Greg Baker knew something was up. She had way too many details about his home, about his plane, and about Robert Hansen himself. I mean, if you remember from part one, she described everything in such specific detail.
1: For Even the colors say, of the letters or the numbers on the house. On the
0: clock. On a clock in a house. It's just wild. But also keep in mind, if Robert Hansen had made up this story about how she you know, was trying to extort him and all that, That still does not explain why when police went to the Big Timber Motel, she was sitting there in handcuffs. Right. So she just handcuffed herself because she thought it'd be a cute addition to the story. They really dropped the ball. But good old Greg Baker knew something was up. He knew she was telling the truth. So even though the case was technically closed, well, Mr. Greg Baker started privately investigating Robert. He felt like the more he dug into Robert's history, the more he sat with Cindy's story. He thought there was no way that this was just a one-off thing. And maybe, maybe Robert Hansen was not who he portrayed himself to be. So what did he do? Behind his uh, boss's back, he contacted state trooper Glenn Fothy and quietly joined his investigation.
1: I love this. Okay, we're kind of getting to like a little bit of a, not a happy ending, but at least people are taking the girls seriously.
0: Absolutely. Glenn and Greg, those are our little heroes for today's episode. Glenn Fothy reached out to FBI Special Agent Roy Hazelwood to put together a psychological profile of this potential serial killer. Now, this is impressive for two reasons. One, because we often hear that egos get in the way of investigations when it comes to involving other departments. But he was able to put that aside and admit that he needed some help here. But also, profiling was still a relatively new thing. In fact, when profilers began working in the field around 1979, so we're mm-hmm. only like two years out from that, it wasn't even until 1984 that the National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime was even created in the FBI. Wow. So this is like the dawning of them putting together, if you've seen that, not Criminal Minds, what is that show called? Mine Hunter? Mine Hunter. Hunter. So we are at the very beginning of Mindhunter. They haven't even put together that unit yet. So Mr. Roy Hazelwood was either a fortune teller or an incredible profiler, which it's probably the latter. But still, this makes no sense to me how they're able to do this. Because after examining the crime scenes and all of the reports, he came back with a profile that was Mr. Robert Hansen to a T. Annie, listen to how specific this is. He told Flothy the killer would most likely be an experienced hunter, check, Check. have low self-esteem, check, have a history of being rejected by women, double check, would feel compelled to keep trophies of his kills, such as the victim's jewelry, remember that necklace we talked about? Mm -hmm. And get this, he even said he could possibly have a stutter. How the hell? Do they know that he could have a stutter? The other stuff I could see making sense if he's an experienced hunter, you know, and Cindy Paulson said he has all of these trophies on his wall of all the big game he's like hunted down. So some of it I can understand, but the stutter part.
1: I'm trying. No, I wonder if because, but I, I mean, I would say maybe if you have a stutter, you're more meticulous about how you speak and you're you know, you 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 kind of think before you speak, but that wasn't Robert. I feel like he was a loose cannon. So that's interesting that they pulled the Sutter piece out.
0: I have no idea how they do this. I, I want to speak with these people. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I want them to profile some of my exes. Our next guest on the podcast. <laughs> there you go. I might have to submit all future boyfriends to the FBI for profiling <laughs> Because that is wild how accurately they described a man that this Royal Hazelwood wasn't even in Alaska. He'd never met Robert Hansen.
1: That's mind-blowing.
0: So our dynamic duo, Baker and Flothy, used this profile and Cindy Paulson's testimony to finally obtain a search warrant for Robert's home. They also got one for his plane and vehicles, but the one that was on his home really provided the most evidence. And on October 27th, 1983, While searching his home, they found exactly what they needed to finally arrest Robert. Not only was his home exactly how Cindy Paulson had described it, down to the mention of a bullet hole on the floor of his basement, but in his home they found the jewelry that belonged to the victims, as well as multiple firearms stored away in a little corner hideaway of his attic. But I think probably the most disturbing part of this finding was that tucked behind Robert's headboard, was an aviation map that had little X's marked on it. What are the
1: X's? X's. Oh, wait. Oh.
0: Yeah, X marks the spot, but not for treasure in this case, unfortunately. These X's matched up to the areas where bodies had already been found, but this is where this case blows up because they, at this point, had found a few bodies, but Mm -hmm. there was 24 X's on Robert's map.
1: Oh, my gosh. So they knew they had to go back into the wilderness, and they knew they were going to find more. Yeah.
0: The evidence continued to pile up through what they obtained through their warrants, but the ballistics tests came back, and the rifle that was found in Robert's attic was a match to the bullets found at the crime scene. Remember that Ruger rifle, and they mm-hmm. found that shell casing? It was a perfect match. That is the time that Robert finally decided he wanted to take a plea.
1: No, you don't get a plea, sir. But maybe if they're trying to find the bodies and they're trying to figure out, like, the why behind it, they do want him to talk. And they do want to hear his side of the story to kind of try and connect the dots as best they could.
0: Well, you nailed it, like, right on the head, because that is exactly why they agreed to do this. He agreed to plead guilty to the four murders that they had concrete evidence for. Again, that was Sherry Merrill, Joanna Messina, Paula Goldling, and Oklutna Annie he also had to provide details about his other victims. And can you guess what he wanted in exchange?
1: I feel like something with his family, like maybe he didn't want them to know, like all the details. You, I'm not sure how you guessed that. Maybe you know more about this case than I thought. <laughs> I just think that if he's trying to live this double life, he's a baker, he's a dad, he's a husband. I mean, he doesn't want his family, obviously, to know what he's done, or what he's capable of doing. This kind of brings into like BTK and the Golden State Killer, just living those dual lives. And I feel like the first we talked about it, people affected not only are the victims, but also the families.
0: Well, you are absolutely correct. Like ding, ding, ding. He did not want this case to be publicized in the press. Basically, they had to keep a lot of these court records sealed. He didn't want his family to hear about the details of the murders. But here's my problem with that. One, it's going to get out. Mm-hmm. because Alaska's not that big and when you go around having 24 X's on a map of bodies that you've killed I think people are gonna talk right but also stop freaking pretending that you're this protective family man you're like dad of the year that doesn't want his kids to be traumatized what about the families of the children that you killed because mm-hmm. a lot of these cases they're children right Hansen led police to 17 grave sites, 12 of which the police had no prior knowledge of. He refused to give up the other sites, which confused me because Mm -hmm. doesn't that break his plea agreement? However, uh, maybe he wanted to keep a bargaining chip for future use and they're just going to take whatever they can from him.
1: That's a good point.
0: Yeah. Who the hell knows with weirdos like Robert? Mm -hmm. The remains of 12 of his victims were returned to their families, which... I can't even imagine, but at least they have some closure and some answers. Now, in an excerpt from WickedHorror.com article titled Remembering the Victims of Alaska's Butcher Baker by Fallon Gannon, which is a great name, Mm -hmm. the prosecutor Frank Rothschild summed up this case and Robert Hansen perfectly. During Robert's sentencing, he addressed the judge and said, Your honor before you sits a monster, an extreme aberration of a human being. A man who has walked among us for 17 years, serving us donuts, danishes, and hot coffee, all with a pleasant smile. He was mellow, mild-mannered, bespackled. I don't know what that means.
1: That's a fun word to say.
0: Yeah, we'll Google it. Anyway, mellow, mild-mannered, bespackled Bob the Baker, a family man. A man so cunning, so clever, that his friends and acquaintances are in shock at what he now admits to before this court. Not even his wife of 20 years had any idea of his dark evil side. His crimes numb the mind. Hearing him tell of his crimes, which we did last week for 10 to 12 hours, sapped the body of energy. It sapped the spirit. But the story must be told, for our community wants to know how it is that this man got away with these crimes all these years and how it is that we finally caught him. His manipulations are immense. And while he doesn't admit it, it's obvious from reading through and looking at where things started and where the women ended up that he hunted them down, Judge. He let them run a little bit, and then he enjoyed a little hunt, just like he did with his big game animals. They were not human beings to him.
1: Very powerful statement.
0: I have, like, actual goosebumps reading Mm -hmm. that just because even when you're doing the research for these cases, sometimes... It's easy to get so invested in the facts that you forget the humanity behind these stories. And so I really wanted to include that because I think that was beautifully said about just how despicable this man really
1: was. And even how he talked about how it zapped the mind and it zapped the body, it does take a toll. And I think, God, can you imagine being in the courtroom hearing Robert tell his side of the story and probably being there just stone-faced, no emotion, just factual?
0: It's wild. And I did read something. I wasn't going to include this, but going off of what you just said, he apparently got great delight in showing the police where the bodies were found. And even though some of these people had been gone for years, once he got to the area, the police described it as being hard to keep up with him. Granted, he's handcuffed and all that stuff, but Mm -hmm. his legs are free. He could go directly to the spot where they never even had to dig a hole more than once because that's how specifically he remembered it. And to me, that just speaks to how much he
1: enjoyed what he was doing. Almost like he's bragging in a sense of like, oh, there's one over there. Oh, there's one here. Follow me over here. I'll show you exactly where it is. it's, It's messed up. Mind numbing.
0: Well, interesting fact, Alaska does not have a death penalty in place still to this day.
1: Wow, that is weird. That's weird to me.
0: I actually did not know that and I grew up there, but I guess I was never doing anything that I had to worry too much about, you know, facing it. So anywho, Robert was sentenced to 461 years in prison plus life.
1: Wow. He's never getting out, thankfully.
0: Absolutely not. And in fact, on August 21st, 2014, at the age of 75, he died of
1: natural causes.
0: Thank God. Like,
1: Yeah. I'm glad he's off. I I, we don't
0: we don't even need his energy. No, here, no, thank you. I think it's really important to point out that yes, we've been bashing on the police a little bit in this case, but there's many instances where they tragically, tragically failed these women and put the lives Mm -hmm. of so many, not only sex workers but just women in general, in danger because of their lack of investigation. But do need to still point out the good ones, Officer Baker. State Trooper Flothy really went above and beyond. And again, Officer Baker was doing all of this investigating on a technically closed case behind his boss's back. So props to them. They, in addition to our brave 18-year-old Cindy Paulson and her quick thinking to take note of everything and her incredibly brave testimony, those three together were the odd team Mm-hmm. that put a stop to Robert Hansen from hunting down any more women.
1: The three musketeers. They probably weren't getting paid for this work then, were they? Like, they're putting in all the hours afterwards, after they're 9 to 5.
0: Um, that could be the case for Officer Baker, but again, State Trooper Flothy, he was working on the bodies, so he wasn't part okay. originally of Cindy Paulson's testimony or anything like that. Those two got to know each other later after, you know, Baker and him teamed up.
1: got so it. So he
0: was... Obviously, he was being a good little state trooper and looking Mm -hmm. into a potential serial killer. I want to mention the names of the victims that I didn't cover in detail, and they are 24-year-old Roxanne Eastland, whose body, unfortunately, has never been found, 22-year-old Andrea, or Fish, as they called her, Robert confessed to killing her, but again, her body has never been recovered. 23-year-old Sue Luna, who Robert forced to run naked through the woods as he hunted her down. 20-year-old Delin Sugar Frey, whose body was found by a pilot at the Knick River. 21-year-old Paula Goldling, who, like Sherry, was found shot in the back and redressed by Robert after her killing. Robert led to police to the bodies of 25-year-old Malaya Larson, I believe it's pronounced, 22-year-old Teresa Watson, 24-year-old Angela Federn, 20-year-old Tamara or Tammy Pedersen, and he also led the police to the body of a woman dubbed Horseshoe Harriet, which Annie, this ties back to your minisode. In October of 2021, not that long ago, Horseshoe Harriet, by using forensic genealogy that you talked about, was finally traced back and identified as 19-year-old Robin Pelkey. So this is 30-plus years after her death. She was finally given a name, as she deserves. And I hope that that is something that's able to happen for a Klutna Annie as well.
1: Same. It's crazy how young all these women were. You're saying their ages, and I'm like, wow. They had their whole life ahead of them.
0: Absolutely. Robert is also believed to have killed Celia, or Beth, as they called her, Van Zanten. She was age 17. Megan Emmerich, also age 17, and 22-year-old Mary Kathleen Thill. He has never, ever admitted to these, but their bodies were found in the corresponding X's on Robert's map, which, I mean, it was Robert,
1: let's be honest. Right. There's no way that's a coincidence.
0: The only thing I can think of, of why he wouldn't, you know, take credit for this, because he seemed so happy to gloat in his kills, is... Perhaps because he knew he was going to prison and with them being underage, maybe he didn't think he'd fare so well if you know word got out on the cell block that he had killed children.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that, but that does make sense.
0: Robert's wife, Darla, divorced his ass. Good. But this part is is sad because we talk about how the families are victims as well. And unfortunately, his children were incredibly bullied, as details of this case did make it around town. And because of their father's actions, she packed them up and left their home in Alaska.
1: Well, yeah, that's really sad because the kids probably weren't very old. Not to say that bullying caused Robert to do all of this, but I'm sure it was some type of catalyst.
0: Well, and it's not their actions. It's not anything that they did. Mm. They're
1: just kids.
0: I'm not going to include information about where they are now because I think that they deserve their privacy. So, that, my dear Annie, is the horrifying case of Robert Hansen. It was definitely a heavy one. There was a lot of moving parts, to say the least, and a lot of characters in this story. But I heard a little rumor that you're going to be back Sunday to lighten the mood.
1: I am. But also, Elise, great job on the episode. Like I said, I've heard a couple different versions of that, but I think. The history behind Alaska at the time was really important. Giving names to the victims, kind of telling their side of the story was really impactful. So thank you for that. And on Sunday, I'm just going to say one word to describe my episode. Airport. And it's a conspiracy. So I think we'll get all that mind going, but it's going to be a good one.
0: Well, I think we need a good conspiracy, lighthearted episode after discussing Robert Hansen, who hunted down women. So look forward to that on Sunday. As always, if you all could take a minute to follow, subscribe, leave us a review, do all the things, we'd be so, so grateful. Until then.